everybody. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018. A Tuesday night edition of the Monday Evening QB kicking off the show. That's right. That's a little Christopher Cross for you. We're not afraid to go with some yacht rock here on Jamal About Sports. Of course, backed up uh, capably on that tune by Michael McDonald, who I think there was a, a law in the late 70s and the early 80s that Michael McDonald had to be on, do background songs for, uh, background vocals for like at least four songs a year. <laughs> uh, in any event, big show to get to. We've got week seven of the NFL in the books. We've got a little bit of a Major League Baseball World Series preview. We'll talk a little bit about, uh, we'll look back at both uh, championship series and look a little ahead to the World Series, which kicks off tonight, and uh, a little bit on the Knicks and the NBA. But we begin with the Lions, my Lions coming off a bye week with a very impressive, very professional, business-like, workman-like, whatever adjective one wants to use uh, to describe the win over the Dolphins in a steamy and hot and humid Miami. Um, I've been watching this team for about 40 years, and the Lions have had lots of thrilling victories, certainly in the Matt Stafford era, right? Two years ago, eight fourth quarter comebacks. Uh, They've had games where the defense has gone crazy. Uh, My dad and I always call them, you know, the old school Silverdome wins, Back in, particularly in the 90s when Barry was there, uh, you know, they'd have these games, you know, lots of sacks, forced turnovers, score. They did it even in the Schwartz era. 2011, that team scored a ton of defensive touchdowns, clinched their uh, playoff spot with that win over the Chargers. Dan Miller on the great call late when Cliff Averill had the pick six, put a bow around it because it was on Christmas Eve. You know, Merry Christmas, everybody. Lions in the playoffs. That sealed the deal. I mean, the Lions had won the game anyway, but as as Dan Miller so aptly put, put a bow on that. Uh, So they've had games like that. They've had plenty of games like that in in years past. Very few that I can remember were like the game in Miami on Sunday, where, first of all, the Lions ran for 248 yards. Last time they had that many yards rushing in a game was 1991 when Barry Sanders was toting the rock. So uh, 27 years since, right? Um, The Lions have always been a passing team since Stafford's been here, right? They used to be a running team, Billy Sims first, then Barry Sanders. Then for years, couldn't really run the ball, couldn't pass the ball much either, (laughs) They got Stafford. They've been predominantly a passing team, and we understand that it's a passing league, and that's great. But, I mean, the Lions haven't even been remotely competent running the ball last, say, five years. I mean, the last time they had anything resembling a decent running game, I think, was 2013 when Reggie Bush was on the team. You know, that's five years ago. Um, and... So to watch the Lions, I mean, the first play of the game, carry on Johnson, 24 yards. Now, first of all, Adam Gase, the, the coach of the Dolphins, did the Lions a huge favor, won the toss and, and elected to receive. Thank you very much. As you know, I'm always a proponent of, of, of deferring. It's, it's literally the only move. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, it's not even debatable. So, of course, the Dolphins go three and out. Nice job of the Lions defense. Get the ball back, go right down the field and score. 
First play of the game, 24-yard run off left tackle for Carrion Johnson. And basically, you know, the he the rest of the game, he was tremendous. Had a 71-yard run, which included a great pull and then kick out block by Frank Ragnell on Kiko Alonzo, one of the better linebackers in the league. 71-yard run, set the lines up for a field goal um, when the lines were pinned back down in their own territory. So, you know, you could look at maybe going three and out and flipping field position and giving the Dolphins great field position, and then next thing you know, on second and five, he goes for 71 yards. That was huge. Um, And what was so impressive about the win, again, it didn't require a Herculean effort from Stafford. You know, you didn't you didn't have to get 400 yards and four touchdowns, or he didn't have to drive the team 90 yards with a minute and 10 seconds left. You know, and, and at the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, you know, to come back from a deficit or in a tie game. You know, this wasn't that game against Minnesota two years ago where you know in about 30 seconds he got them into 58 yard field goal range. Of course, Prater made the kick, and then Golden Tate with the touchdown in overtime when he flipped in the end zone. It didn't require that. This was a dominating effort, essentially, from start to finish. You know, the Lions did what the Patriots like to do. So, Gase helps them out, takes the ball, Lions scored at the end of the first half, and then scored on their first possession of the third quarter. Two for one. Had a 20-7 lead, had a 20-14 lead. Scored a touchdown to go up, which should have been 27-14. Matt Patricia idiotically went for two. And then even the only thing worse was the play call, which was a run to LeGarrette Blount, which went nowhere. And then, of course, after the game, he defiantly sits there and says, no, that's standing operating procedure. No, coach, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not. Okay? You don't chase the points. There's no need. 27-14, I understand, in theory, you want to get to 28-14, but you have the lead. There's no reason to change the points there. And by the way, my theory is proven correct because they missed the two, go up 26-14, then kick a field goal, make a 29-14. Well, if you were to kick that extra point, then you're up 30 to 14. Now the Dolphins have to score two touchdowns and get two two-point conversions just to tie. So that's why you don't chase the points there. You had a whole fourth quarter left. There's a ton of time. Now, it didn't, it didn't end up biting them because the Dolphins scored a touchdown, went for one to get it to 29-21, then missed a field goal late in the game with about you know under a minute left, no timeouts. You know They would have had to, of course, recover the onside kick too, missed a field goal, the point was moot. But no reason to go for two there. Now, it's weird. He did admit that he made a mistake. The Dolphins on a second and seven play got called for holding. And rather than accept the penalty and make it second and 17, he declined it to bring up third and seven. Dolphins got a first down and scored two plays later on the 54-yard touchdown by Kenyon Drake. He did admit to that being a mistake. But he's sticking to his guns on this two-point conversion thing, which, you know, I thought these New England guys are supposed to know what the hell they're doing when it comes to this stuff. Um, although Belichick's gotten away with this stuff a million times. It's just, it's just that the difference is the Patriots always get the two-point conversion. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, remember, Belichick, the genius, didn't call timeouts at the end of the Super Bowl right before the Seahawks threw the interception, 
when there was a minute left or so, and they had, I think, at least two, if not all three timeouts, and should have been calling timeout to preserve time to get the ball back, because you got to assume that when they're on the one foot line, Seattle's going to score. But of course, he gets bailed out because the, you know Seattle makes the dumbest play call in the history of football. Instead of giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch, they throw the ball and it gets intercepted by Malcolm Butler. Anyway, I digress. It was a tremendous effort, up and down. I mean, you could tell this team was laser-focused from the first snap. You could tell that they spent the bye week, they put the bye week to good use. You know, look, Miami likes to try to get cute. They don't cover the opposing team's sideline. is not covered in shade. The Dolphins' sideline is. I don't know why that's allowed to happen, but it is. So the Lions... You know, necessity is the mother of invention. They had guys standing there with, like, handheld canopies over the Lions bench trying to keep guys out of the sun and keep them cool in the shade. Guys were, you know, hydrating all week. Patricia, during the week of practice, had them, you know, run after certain plays to try to get used to being tired. That team was prepared. Zero pre-snap penalties in that game. By the way, no pre-snap penalties in the Patriots game, won the game. No pre-snap penalties in the Green Bay game, won the game. No pre-snap penalties in Miami, won the game. Dallas game, Eli Harold lined off offsides on a third and seven. Lost that game. Taylor Decker with a false start inside the red zone against Dallas. Lost that game. I'm not saying it always correlates to wins and losses, But I can guarantee you that your percentages of winning go way up when the team does not commit pre-snap penalties. So, listen, lots of good things to see from the Lions in that game. Obviously, Kerryon Johnson was the star. I mean, look, Stafford threw the ball 22 times. Now, he completed 18 passes, which included one throwaway and a drop touchdown by Golden Tate. He was, you know, spectacularly efficient. Two touchdowns, both to Michael Roberts. You've got to love what you've seen from him in the limited action he's, he's uh, had this year because he's been hurt. But, you know, three catches for 48 yards, including two touchdowns, and the third catch was a 29-yarder that set the lines up for a, a touchdown early in the game. So you're seeing some encouraging signs from the Bob Quinn draft classes now. Jared Davis had his probably his best game as a pro, the middle linebacker was excellent in coverage and played the run well. Looked like he may have got caught out of position on the Kenyon Drake touchdown. Other than that, I don't I didn't see a lot to, to quibble with. Tease Tabor played a ton of snaps in that game. And while he wasn't great, he wasn't terrible. And in one touchdown he did give up. He had perfect coverage. I don't know how he didn't bat the ball down. You tip your cap to Osweiler. He made a hell of a throw. So you're seeing, you know, Frank Ragnow played a good game. The whole offensive line played a good game, which, as we know, includes three Bob Quinn draft picks. They got T.J. Lang back. They rotated uh, Kenny Wiggins in sometimes, and Wiggins held up well. I mean, listen, again, not a lot to quibble with here. You know, could the defense be better? Sure. But they got four more sacks. They got two from Ricky Jean Francois, of all people. They got another one from Romeo Quara, which, again, need to give Bob Quinn credit. You know, everybody, there are a lot of lot, Lions Twitter was up in arms when Anthony Zettel got cut. I thought it was a strange move. But when I saw that they signed Oquara, 
I actually wasn't that upset because I liked what I saw from him when he was with the Giants. And look, he's not a perfect player, but there's, there's, there's some stuff to work with there. And he's, he has four sacks in, in, in limited playing time. And, you know, he basically just showed up on the team the first week of the year. Right before the first game. And he's young, and he's got a long athletic body. You know, he's 6'4", 6'5", 275 pounds. There's stuff to work with there. And then Jared Davis had the other sack. Ashawn Robinson had a series late in that game where he blew up three plays in a row. Should have drawn a holding penalty back-to-back plays. Of course, the Lions can't ever get a call. <laughs> but stuff to run for, no, for a negative loss, uh, for a negative gain, for, for, for a loss. And then had back-to-back pass rushes where he basically trucked and walked the guard back into the backfield. And as I said, was being blatantly held, neither of which were called, but did force Osweiler to throw the ball away two, two plays in a row. So... That's encouraging. Went from being inactive week one against the Jets to he's played well in the games he's played since. So lots to like. And by the way, the penalties the Lions did get called for, a bunch of them were, 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 were BS. Especially the one they called on Frank Ragnar, which took another touchdown to Kenny Galladay off the books. But, I mean, Stafford threw for 217 yards, and the Lions put up 32 points. That doesn't happen. (laughs) And you see what he does with the run game. He's still massively efficient. Plus, it keeps your defense off the field. I mean, mean, listen, the Lions impose their will. That doesn't happen often. If ever. I mean, the last time I remember a Lions team playing like this was probably when Bobby Ross was the coach. So, overall, just a thrilling effort from start to finish. And now they have Seattle coming in to Ford Field. You know, Seattle's 3-3. Three and three. A lot of people thought they would be worse than that. Given, you know, they've had massive turnover that roster, you know, you can hardly recognize that defense anymore. You know, no Cam Chancellor, no Richard Sherman, no Cliff Averill, no Michael Bennett. But they still have Earl Thomas. They still have Bobby Wagner. They've got the Griffin brothers. Frank Clark's a good pass rusher, the D-end out of Michigan. So, you know, and Russell Wilson is really good. They've got kind of a good two, even three-headed monster running back with Mike Davis and Chris Carson, and, and they're starting to sprinkle more Rashad Penny and my guy out of San Diego State, the rookie. So, look, they're dangerous. It's a game the Lions need to win. It's a game they need to win. Figure it out. Not saying it's going to be easy. Got to figure that one out. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with some of the more interesting games from Week 7 right after this. And we're 
back here on another edition of Jamal about sports, taking us out of the break. Low down by Boz Skaggs. We're keeping with our Yacht Rock theme tonight. And by the way, is there is there a more 70s song than Low Down by Boz Skaggs? I mean, I mean, come on. That is the most 70s song of all time. <laughs> All right, some more games from Week 7. Chicago-New England was a a hell of a game. Uh, Chicago led, I mean, sorry, New England led early. They had a 14-point fourth quarter lead. Uh, Tom Brady throws an interception. Bears get back in it. Bears, of course, a a Patriots rather score two touchdowns on special teams. They get a a kick return by Cordero Patterson for a touchdown. You get a block punt by Dante Hightower, blocks the punt. Then Kyle Van Noy, Lions reject of all people, scoops it up and scores. You had the crazy Hail Mary at the end where Trubisky, with a guy right in his face, throws one up for grabs 50-something yards. Kevin White catches it at the two, tries to get in, and gets held back just by the skin of his teeth at the one-yard line. I mean, granted, the Patriots had three guys around him, and they did a good job keeping him out of the end zone, but, I mean, is that so Patriots? Only the Patriots could give up a 55-yard Hail Mary and it not be a touchdown. <laughs> now, I was in the uncomfortable position of having a root for the Patriots, obviously, because I, you know the Bears are in line's division foe, and I need the Bears to lose games. Um, but... You know, the Bears, uh, they could be more formidable than I thought. Trubisky's playing better than I thought he would. You know, he 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 didn't play. He didn't have a great game throwing the ball, but he has the added dimension of being able to run. You know, he had that crazy eight-yard touchdown run where he really ended up running like 50 yards because he zigged and zagged his way. You know, he went to the right hash, then he came back to the left hash and sort of zigged and zagged. Serpentine shell, serpentine <laughs> for a touchdown. Um... They've got some weapons. I mean, if Kevin White ever actually puts it together and can stay healthy for four seconds, the former stud receiver out of West Virginia, you know, they gave uh, Allen Robinson from Jacksonville a ton of money in the offseason. You know, he's good, not great, but he's pretty good. They've got Taylor Gabriel, the former Falcon, is a good deep threat. Trey Burton, the tight end they signed from the Eagles, is a very good move tight end, pass-catching tight end. And then they've got the two-headed monster in the backfield with Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. I mean, that, that offense can pose problems. And, you know, look, Khalil Mack's playing on one foot right now, so he wasn't much of a factor against the, 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 the Patriots. Probably shouldn't even played. But when he's healthy, I mean, that makes that whole, he makes that whole defense go. Now, I don't think the Bears secondary is particularly good. So if you get time, you can throw against them for sure. But... Um, you know, Khalil Max is a monster. He's a handful. They're, unfortunately, they're going to be a tougher out than I thought. I mean, you look at the, the NFC North right now. I mean, the Lions are 3-3. Three and three. They're two plays away from being 5-1. and one. Certainly could be 4-2. and two. You could say the same thing about the Bears. I mean, the Bears had Green Bay beat week one, 20 to nothing. And then, you know, Corey Fuller drops the interception and whatever. Then, you know, they couldn't have played it any worse down the stretch against Miami the week before. The Lions played them. So, you know, Adam Gase playing for, I mean, uh, sorry, not Adam Gase. uh, Matt Nagy, the Bears coach, playing for a 52-yard field goal. So, I mean, the Bears could easily be... Four and two, five and one. You know the pack 
had that ridiculously lucky win against San Francisco on Monday night. Um, you know, Minnesota looks like they're starting to round into form, unfortunately. But that division's wide open right now. It's wide open. Still way early. I mean, the Lions have only played the Packers once so far and beat them. So, you know, they've got the rest of the division schedule ahead of them. It's all right there for them. But unfortunately, all these teams are good. I mean, look, the Packers The Packers remind me of the Lions a couple years ago. You take Aaron Rodgers off the Packers, it's a four-win team. It's a four-win team. Their defense is lousy. I mean, Devontae Adams is a good, a good wide receiver, yeah. So is Randall Cobb. always hurt now. You know, running backs are okay. They're not great. O-lines, eh. I mean, they're allowed to clutch and grab and hold and do whatever the hell they want because it's Aaron Rodgers that they're protecting, so... And Minnesota, when they click on all cylinders, they're probably the best team because the, they, they, they still can get after the passer. But you know what? Their defense has shown some cracks this year. So, division's wide open. Moving on. Dallas game against the Redskins. So, <laughs> you talk about, I mean, listen. Uh, I know this is typically AG's uh, forte. He's not here. I'm flying solo tonight, as you know. But uh, I can tell you he was not happy with the way that that, the the Cowboys finished that game. Now, listen, did they get screwed on the the snap infraction? Yes, they did. It's a ridiculous call. That's the type of shit that happens to the Lions usually. Yeah. so, yes, they got screwed on the call, backed them up five yards. Of course, the field goal to tie the game hits the upright. It looked like that certainly would have been good from five yards closer. But do not let Jason Garrett off the hook. Cowboys had the ball with 54 seconds left in a timeout because Alex Smith on the Redskins' prior drive inexplicably ran out of bounds on third down, thus saving the Cowboys one more timeout. Which, for a veteran quarterback, is, is, uh, you cannot make that mistake because he didn't get the first down. You know, you could understand. I mean, he was well short. He was two yards short. I mean, once you realize you're not getting the first down, you got to stop and just take a knee and make Dallas call their last timeout. Horrible job by Alex Smith there. Cowboys have the ball. 54 seconds left at the... Where were they? They were at, well, let's see, the field goal ended up being, it was supposed to be 47, so that would be at the 30. So they were at like the 38-yard line. They ran two more plays and got nine yards and then kicked a field goal. I mean, ridiculous. So passive, so playing not to lose. Horrible job at Garrett there. Terrible. So, uh, yes, I understand they got screwed on the bad call with the snap infraction, but you know what? They put themselves in a position to get screwed because Garrett was way too conservative there at the end of the game. I mean, you could have tried to go for the win there. That's plenty of time. Terrible job by him. This is now two late-game mistakes he's made so far that's helped cost the Cowboys games, too. He is on extremely thin ice. Plus, now the Cowboys did what the Cowboys like to do, which is panic, and idiotically traded a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. Because the Raiders, as I predicted, John Gruden can't have he can't stand stars that are bigger than him. So first Khalil Mack goes, now Amari Cooper goes, and I'm telling you right now, Derek Carr will not be on the Raiders next year. 
Will not. I don't know if he's going to get traded now. By the way, if I were the Giants, I might be on the phone with the Raiders front office since uh, it's clear the Giants need a quarterback, among other things. Uh, a whole new offensive line, it would appear, after last night's disaster. Um, and again, I don't want to be that guy, but I believe when we did the free agent frenzy show back in March or whatever it was, uh, Nate Solder was one of my head-scratching moves. Did not understand why the Giants are paying him like one of the top left tackles in football when he's far from it. Now, I didn't think he would be this bad, but he has been awful for the Giants. But that Dallas Redskins game, I mean, look, I've been saying it for a while. I really like the Redskins drafts his last few years, particularly on defense, and they were banged up in that game. I mean, on offense, they had no Paul Richardson. They had no Jamison Crowder. They had no Chris Thompson. Uh, you know, they had, Mike, they, they had Michael Floyd. They just signed off the scrap heap off the street, former wide receiver from the Patriots and the Vikings and the Cardinals, kid out of Notre Dame, who, by the way, dropped a Hail Mary at the end of the first half, went right through his arms. Cowboys dodged a bullet there. Um, so, and then on defense, even the Redskins were banged up. But, you know, Kerrigan still played, played well. My guy, John Allen from... Uh, Alabama played well. Payne played well. I mean, that, that, that front's good. I like Zach Brown, the linebacker, a lot. Kid out of North Carolina. I don't understand why he keeps bopping around all, the t- all over the place. It's his third team. But the guy, all he does is run around and make plays. I think he had like 150 tackles for the Bills either last year or the year before. Anyway, he started his career out with, I believe, the Titans. He's still a young player. He's, been, he's played very well for the Redskins. So, you know, look, Dak had the big fumble that got uh, turned into a touchdown for the Redskins. Um, you know, when Cole Beasley's your top receiver, look, I understand the Cowboys need a receiver, but I don't understand why you're giving up a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. That's asinine. It's asinine. It's almost as dumb as when they traded a first and a third for Roy Williams from the Lions all those years ago. Nobody else is going to give the Raiders a first-round pick for Mark Cooper. The whole world knows that they, they can't wait to get him out of there. Everybody knows. Just pay attention. How do you not know that John Gruden is trying to build the team in his image? Whatever that means, by the way. By the way, they're lucky to even have the one, the one win they have. The refs handed it to him in that Cleveland game, which will bring us, by the way, to Cleveland, who played yet another overtime game, their fourth of the year. And then in that game against Tampa Bay... Tampa Bay's kicker Chandler Catanzaro had missed an extra point and missed a 40-something yard field goal that would have won the game in regulation. And then, I mean, this is the most, I mean, talk about Brown's going to Brown. I mean, (laughs) the most Brown's way ever to lose. A, in overtime, and B, Catanzaro makes a 59-yard field goal after previously missing like a 44-yarder in regulation that would have won it and also missing an extra point earlier in the game makes a 59-yarder that barely snuck in through the uh, inside the right upright and just over the crossbar. I mean, the Browns cannot catch a break this year. I mean, that's a crushing loss. The Raiders, that's two losses in overtime that both probably should have been wins for the Browns. They could easily have four wins right now. Listen, Mayfield has not played perfect by any stretch, but he's played well enough. And I've said all season that defense is feisty. 
This Denzel Ward's playing very well. I did not like the pick. It looks like I was dead wrong. By the way, same thing about Carrion Johnson. Didn't like the pick. Didn't like the Lions trading up for him. i happy to report that I look like a moron about that because uh, clearly kids got some skills. Um, so those are basically, to me, the more interesting games um, in Week 7 in the National Football League. I mean, let me say that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that really stood out. Uh, I mean, the Broncos demolished the Cardinals. There was a non-game, a Thursday night game. What a weird matchup that was to begin with. Chargers-Titans. Oh, yeah, you had Mike Vrabel, and they played in London. They had Mike Vrabel idiotically going for two to try to win the game instead of going to overtime. You know, I could understand that if your team was shot and they were lucky just to get back in. The Titans dominated the whole second half of that game, which Bruce Arians, former coach of the Cardinals, who was doing the game now, pointed out on multiple times. By the way, he's pretty good. Does a pretty good job. Does it with Greg Gumbel and I, I think Trent Green. Um, he, and I was, you know, he pointed that out multiple times. Good for him. You know, typically coach you you, know, you find it hard pressed for coaches to criticize other coaches even when they're not coaching anymore. But he was right about that. I mean, he didn't rip them, but he said, "Listen, I I find this very weird, right? I mean, the Titans have dominated this whole second half. Why wouldn't you go to overtime? They had all the momentum anyway. And then not only that, they get bailed out. Their first attempt was broken up in the end zone, but they got called. Uh, Chargers get called for holding, so that moves the ball half the distance." You know, Chargers, Derrick Henry's a 265-pound running back. You tell me you can't get a yard if you're going to go for two there? Or have Mariota try to run it in? Very, they try to slant to like a 5'11 receiver? Very strange. Talked about the Patriots-Bills. Colt, I mean, Patriots-Bears. Uh, the Bills, I mean, I, I don't even understand what the Bills are doing. I mean, I understand Josh Allen's hurt, the, young, the rookie quarterback. And I guess they can't play this Peterman kid anymore. The poor kid is just shot mentally, I guess. They bring Derek Anderson off the scrap heap. I mean, they get pasted by the Colts 37-5. What else do we have? Oh, actually, Eagles-Panthers is an interesting game. Eagles blew a 17-point fourth quarter lead. And Newton went for drives of 89, 81, and 69 in the fourth quarter. Eagles struggling now at 3-4. and four. I mean, that's the, that's the other thing. If you're a Giants fan, you got to be so incensed that your division looks like it's wide open this year, and you guys cannot get out of your own way. I mean, that, that effort last night against Atlanta was embarrassing. I'm sorry. It was embarrassing. Barkley gets eight carries in the first half. They can't protect the quarterback. Manning, when he does have time, is missing throws. Beckham's dropping... Two-point conversions. A coach is making idiotic decisions to go for two. I mean, it's 20 to 12. What are you going for two there for? Kick the extra point. You're down one score. It makes no sense. I don't care that the analytics say that you give a 50%. Your chances increase by 50% for the win. That, that Again, that's in a vacuum. Watch what's happening in that game. You have to get to one score there. You're in no position to be going for two there. It's ridiculous. All these people with their analytics, they have no idea how to employ them. You have to use them in context, people. Understand what's happening in your game. What a dope, Pat Shermer. 
Get lost. That idiocy. Oh, 50% chance. Yeah, how'd that work out for you, by the way, coach? You're one in six. Give me that nonsense. Listen, the Giants are a mess right now. They've been a mess. By, by the way, you know, and I'm always a Giant defender, but you know, they have been a really bad team now for a while. Okay, they were three and thirteen last year. They're one and six. That's four and nineteen in the last twenty-five games, and they weren't all that great the year before. I think the Giants are four and twenty-something, and Eli's in the last twenty-some whatever. And again, I'm not one of these guys that treats quarterbacks like starting pitchers. The win-loss record isn't the quarterback's record only, but and I'm not blaming this on Eli. But he is 37, and he looks like you know, he's got happy feet now because the offensive line is now for two years can't protect him. I mean, look, Giants have talented players. Sterling Shepard's good. Odell Be- Be- Beckham Jr. is really good. You know how I feel about Saquon Barkley. He's a stud. Evan Ingram, if he ever plays, is really good pass-catching tight end. And they supposedly have some pieces on defense, although there's Jack Rabbit, Janoris Jenkins getting burned by some guy nobody ever heard of for 50 yards for a touchdown last night. So they just traded Eli Apple to the Saints today, uh, and apparently the fire sale may be uh, on. And you know what? I won't. I wouldn't blame Gettleman at all, but because clearly whatever is going on there is not working. Oh, and then the other the last game we'll get to is the uh, Saints-Ravens where Justin, Tuck- Justin Tucker, who arguably the best kicker in the game, if not, you know, if not the best, certainly one of the top three, say him, maybe Prater, um, and maybe, you know, I don't know who else you want to throw in there, but in any event, missed his first extra point ever of his career. Missed the first extra point of his career after the Ravens scored late and we were about to send the game into overtime. And by the way, it was not his fault. The kick started out right down the middle and then it was really windy that day and you could see the wind just blew it barely wide right. And gave him a ton of credit. He, he, he asked Harbaugh, look, can I be the first guy at the postgame podium? And he addressed it and said, look, I just missed the kick. I don't, I don't know what happened, but I missed it. And you know what? He took full responsibility, manned up. Guy's been one of the best kickers in the league since he came in in the league. Broke my heart and the Lions' heart in that Monday night game four years ago when he made that 61-yard field goal. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, so that's week seven in the NFL. Uh, moving on, looking at uh, looking back at the baseball playoffs. So uh, the Red Sox did a little number there on the Astros. You know what's interesting? So... You know, look, the Astros were a really good team. They won 103 games. Red Sox won 108. Uh, two very evenly matched teams. You thought the Astros certainly had the advantage uh, in starting pitching. They got The Red Sox got a, you know, a tremendous performance by Price. Not his first game. His first game was okay. wasn't great. Four and two-thirds. He gave up the four runs. But, you know, two of them were, you know, via a, a, a jam shot, you know, opposite field hit. Red Sox ended up winning the game anyway, so, you know. 
But his his second game, he was tremendous. He was lights out. He looked like you know the David Price from you know ten years ago when he was a Cy Young guy. Um, but you know what I love about watching the Red Sox play is that yes, they hit home runs, but they actually oh I don't know steal a base. They hit and run. They go first to third. They have guys intentionally trying to put the ball in play. Gee, I, what a weird concept, huh? Not everybody's swinging from their heels every pitch, trying to hit home runs, because that's what the analytics say. I mean, it's amazing to me how for 100 years, a certain style of baseball was good enough, but then all of a sudden, in the last few years now, we've deemed that it's not. Because of analytics. Because we're smarter than everybody else, and we're reinventing the wheel, even though half of these guys never picked up a bat or a glove or a ball in their lives. So dumb and irritating. So I love the way the Red Sox play. I love watching their approach at the plate. Eovaldi was great, again, dealing at 99 and 100. And look, Craig Kimbrell's a high wire act every time he comes in to close a game, no question. But you know what? He got it done. And Verlander was uncharacteristically not great in a game the Astros had to have. You know, look, you can forgive the guy. He, other than, you know, up until then, he'd been pretty much money. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't like he was horrible. What, he was six innings, three runs, four runs? I mean, it wasn't, he wasn't a disaster. They lost the game 4-1. But it wasn't like he didn't give him a chance. You know, look, they got... They, you know, they, they, the, the Red Sox hit a couple of cheap home runs. By the way, Astros fans, I don't want to hear it because your own your team gets cheap home runs in that stupid park too. Those Crawford boxes in left field. You know, it's like Yankee fans complaining when other teams hit cheap home runs in Yankee Stadium. I always laugh. I'm like, really, guys? Are you kidding? That joke of a right field in Yankee Stadium. And then the Dodgers and the Brewers, you know, look, I thought both series would go seven. I was obviously dead wrong about the Red Sox and Astros. I got the Dodgers and the Brewers right. And listen, uh, the Brewers tried all their little, you know, cutesy gimmickry with their starting pitching and pitching relievers to start games and trying to, you know, have some gamesmanship. We were going we're gonna to pitch Wade Miley one batter because he's a lefty, and then we're going to make the Red Sox have all righties, and then we're going to take him out after one bat, you know. It got to be a little much. And I think the Dodgers are the better team, so I'm glad that they're in the World Series. And look, you can't get a better matchup or more classic matchup than the Dodgers and the Red Sox. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to watching this World Series. You know, you've got Dave Roberts managing the Dodgers, who former playoff hero, hero for the Red Sox. I don't know. Did Alex Cora ever play for the Dodgers? He may have. I know he obviously played for the Mets. I don't know if he ever played for the Dodgers. But anyway, it should be a very good series. And then finally, we'll wrap the show up with a little NBA. I mean, look, it's super early. Knicks are 1-3. and three. Won their first game in a blowout over the hapless Hawks. Um, then lost a tough game to the Nets uh, on a last-second shot. Then lost a heartbreaker to the Celtics 
where Trey Burke got fouled down three with like a min, one like barely over a second left, and Trey Burke was a good foul shooter, of course missed the first foul shot. And then they got they played they were getting blown out by Milwaukee. They came back with a spirited run late in the in, in the game in the fourth quarter, take a one point lead only to see Milwaukee pull away because they couldn't miss a three in the last five minutes. But look, this what you it, I said this before. I'll say it again. The Knicks are fun to watch, regardless of what the results are. I mean, these young guys that they have are fun to watch. Trier's fun to watch. Noah Vonley, who, by the way, needs to be starting over the hapless Kurt Thomas, needs to be pl- is fun to watch. Uh, Hazonia played well last night. You know, look, the Knicks have all these cast-offs, these guys that were former lottery picks that are still 22, 23 years old. See, the NBA, unlike any other sport, the draft is a massive crapshoot because they take, they take all these guys either from Europe and or who are like 19 or 20 or both or guys who play one year of college ball like Kevin, uh, like Kevin Knox for the, for the Knicks, who of course now is hurt after he looked really good in the next game. And so, you know, sometimes it takes two, three, maybe even four years with some of these guys for the light to go on. And, you know, in today's ever-increasingly impatient world, guys don't get that much time. So, look, the Knicks... I, I, listen, I can't tell you yet if, if, if all these guys are going to work out, but you can tell they all have talent. And they all seem to really like playing for Fizdale. Now, look, Fizdale's going to make some mistakes, too. Remember, he's a young coach, right? He has basically one full year of coaching under his belt. You know, he should have had Neil Aquina guarding Karis LeVert the last possession of that Nets game. You can't put Tim Hardaway Jr. on him. He's not a good enough defender. That's what Neil Aquina is there for, supposedly. Who, by the way, still has a long way to go offensively. Long way to go. But you know what? That's fine, too. I mean, Burke's a young player, former lottery pick. Vonley, former lottery pick. Hazonia, former lottery pick. Moutier, who hasn't even played yet because he's hurt, former lottery pick. And then you got Ennis Cantor, who's a double-double every night and plays with fire and passion. You love him. Hardaway plays with fire and passion. Really good player. He's not a superstar, but he's a good player. Streaky, but a good player. Can definitely score. Knicks are a fun team to watch. Now look, they're going to take their lumps, no doubt. What you want to see from the Knicks is you just want to see improvement as the season goes on. You want to see improvement from Fisdale. You want to see improvement from all the young guys. Stop playing Kurt Thomas, please. I understand he's a good guy, and he's Mr. Leader, and that's fine. Keep him on a team. He has no business starting, let alone, uh, let alone playing any sort of important minutes for a team that's rebuilding like the Knicks. There's no reason for it. You want to keep on a team as a good influence? That's fine. Good, good veteran presence in the locker room? Sure. No problem with that at all. Practice player? I get it. But this, I mean, he's been starting so far. Uh, oh, uh, uh, DeMonte Dotson played great the last couple of games. Second round pick from last year. I mean, all these young guys, it's, it's fantastic. And you can, I mean, Dotson's got a body. He looks like, a, he looks like an outside linebacker. These guys are athletic. They're young. They're hungry. It's fun to watch. Sure beats watching fat-ass Carmelo pound the ball into the, 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 the wood for about 18 seconds and then take you know, an off-balance, one-legged, 22-foot fadeaway. That's for sure. <laughs> so just improve 
as the season wears on. You know, could the Knicks make a run at the eighth seed? Maybe if everything goes their way, if you know they get really good performances from out of all these guys, maybe. But it's not about that. Look, the Knicks need a point guard in the worst way. Trey Burks is okay. He's not. A, he's not a quality above average starting NBA point guard. Same thing with Nilakina. Same thing with Moutier. And Trier is really more of a combo guard. He's not a point guard either. So the Knicks need a top quality point guard in the worst way. And if they can get that, either via trade, but more more than likely, or hopefully the draft, and Porzingis, you know, look, Porzingis may come back at some point this year. I'm still not sold on the fact that he's the cornerstone piece, by the way. He still has a lot more to show, in my humble opinion. But look, the Knicks are going to be fun to watch all year. I mean, look, all these games, they've been in every single one of these games, and these are all good teams, except for the Nets. I mean, the Hawks are stink, I know that, but I'm saying the Celtics, really good. Knicks gave them all they could handle. Bucks are a very good team. Knicks gave them all they could handle. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, Jamal About Sports, JamalAboutSports.com, the website, Twitter, at JamalAboutSportNOS. Enjoy the World Series. We'll be back next week to recap Week 8 in the NFL and talk about the World Series and more NBA. Until then, peace out, my friends.